This is Africa Emerging Podcast with your host, Tutu Adamola. We're set to showcase the unique contributions of influential Africans living in the developed economies who, against all odds, have made indelible marks in their respective professions around the world. Join me as we shape this new narrative. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Africa Emerging Podcast. My guest on the show today is Tony Umesere. She is the founder and CEO of Nazaru LLC and the convener of Trade with Africa Business Summit in the United States. Interview with her on the show covered our education, working in corporate America, life-transforming circumstances that led her to start Nazaru LLC. She even shared in-depth insights about the story behind the name Nazaru, and that Nazaru hopes to lead conversation about trade in Africa. We even talked about how to balance busy work schedule with family time. The interview was such an interesting one. There's a lot to learn from my experience. I hope you enjoy it like I did. Thank you, um, Tony Umesari, for joining us today on um, Africa Emerging. It's a pleasure to have you on board. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good evening to you. Okay. Can we get to know you? Um, yes. My name is Toyin Umesari. I'm the CEO, founder and CEO of Nazaru LLC, and also the convener of the um, Trade with Africa Business Summit here in the U.S. Okay, so um, before getting into that, obviously before um, you you began the trade with um, Africa Summit, education-wise, um, where did you? What was your background? So I had my first degree in mathematics from University of Agriculture Belkuta in Nigeria, and then in 2004 I arrived in the U.S. in Michigan to pursue my graduate degree in information systems. Um, and then from there, I went straight into corporate America, working for Whirlpool and then um, Walmart. So um, obviously, um, from coming back from Niger- from Nigeria, you relocating to the US, going to graduate school, and straight away you were able to get into corporate America to work. This is not something which is most times normal for people to go through. That how did you break that? How were you able to get into it much that easier? Um, I wouldn't say it was easy, but one of the key things was um, the degree and the certification I had was highly competitive. It's still highly competitive. So I studied information systems, but my concentration was SAP. And SAP is an enterprise resource planning system. It's a German software and it's highly um, sophisticated and usually leveraged by top companies because the implementation cost and the services cost is quite on the high side. So smaller companies typically, at least then, they were into SAP. So basically coming out of, um, I actually got the offers um, before I graduated. So it was quite, my my skills were quite marketable um, because I had very specific skill sets. Um, the other thing I feel that went was going really well at that point was the university in particular they had several relationships with um you know companies 
and they had career events where they would invite companies to the school to scout for the top talents that they had. So there was, there was a bridge there. And I was kind of um, fortunate. I actually had three offers on the table. <laughs> and wow, wow. Had, yeah, I had three offers on the table, great companies. And I remember I was in a relationship then with my, my husband now. So we had to put all three on the table and start saying mini, mini, manimo, right? Which one is going to work well for us? So um, <laughs> so we ended up picking um, Walpus. But it was, a, it, it, it was a lot of hard work, you know, working with the um, um, faculty of the school, um, you know, and, and then getting the right certification that was quite marketable in the industry and then making the right call, looking, researching the right company that uh, their culture met what I was looking for. Yeah, that's And that, this, was, this was back several years ago. So I don't know if it's still the same, but the skill set is still marketable. SAP is still, <laughs> still marketable. I know, I know. Yeah, it's quite yeah. Mark, yeah, marketable. It's, um, it's a worldwide known um, application. So how long did you spend um, with um, Whirlpool? How long did you work with them for? Almost seven years um, wow. with Whirlpool. Um, and then doing SAP, various SAP implementations, finance and controlling manufacturing, production planning, um, supply chain, logistics, procurement. I, I was quite, I did a lot there. And then I was hired into Walmart. Uh, about five years ago to join their global sourcing team. They were working on a, uh, a big multi-million dollar project on, on bringing their spend on their management. Um, so I led the teams, I implemented that. And um, from there, I went into strategic planning and then I went into operations, retail, uh, merchandising. So I'm kind of I get bored and I'm always seeking knowledge. That's the type of person I am. So I'm not the kind of person that you're going to give an assignment and I'm there doing the same thing for like five years. I'm always looking for the next assignment. I'm always raising my hands and saying, I think I can do that. You know, trying to grow myself, trying to grow my skill set. And then looking back now, I'm like, wow, now I see why. Because everything is like full circle. I'm now leveraging those skills that I've acquired for my own business now. Yeah, absolutely. Because with moving around different units of um, the organization, it helps you get an understanding of the end-to-end process, basically. Then you're involved mm-hmm. in everything, which obviously, I guess, it's quite a key thing, which is helping you, you know, in your new company that you started as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Right. Right, exactly. When you talk about end-to-end design, um, so uh, and the interesting thing is, a lot of people try to stay eye level or try to stay in the weed. I actually toggle between both because I used to be a programmer as well. So wow! I, yes, you, yes, did you write yes. Code? So, yes, ABAP codes. I wow. <laughs> I wrote C Yeah, C sharp in those days of .dot net, and wow. then. You know, um, I, I, I programmed. So interestingly, I grew my career from the detail and then rose through the ranks onto management and then working with top executives to design their, you know, three-year, four-year, five-year roadmap. And uh, part of the work I also did before was strategy for a quarter of a billion dollars in technology spent by five-year period, you know, wow. projecting to the future and, and how, how that spend will, will be going, where it's going to be allocated to and the logic or the business sense behind it. Um, and, you know, so 
for me, I, I love that, you know, being able to just understand the detailed level, but also be able to summarize it and be able to engage top executives as well. Absolutely. That's absolutely brilliant. And and I guess doing that, um, only a smart person could have done that and only an intelligent <laughs> person could have done that. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm always trying to make a difference. And usually when I'm in a role, I always take the role to the next level. You know, I'm always giving my best wherever I am, whether beyond, I don't think of it as what I do are you given only do what your title is supposed to do or um you know I, i'm not that kind of person i was kind of a rebel in some in some world, uh, ways as well um anyway looking back now i think i had fun i enjoyed it um, obviously and I'm, I'm sure like you said looking back now it's it's working in your favor it's it's a quite big, <laughs> quite big benefit to you right 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 so you know interestingly people might think oh you're being paid to do your job but the best thing you can ever do for yourself is to train yourself to say what can i get out of this opportunity for myself what knowledge can i get for myself absolutely, um, absolutely. while doing the job i'm being paid for but you know so that works for me anyway <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So, even with all this great opportunity, you worked with um, you know big companies in in corporate America. You then left. I don't know. That is for me. That is an absolute big risk. <laughs> so, how did you come about the idea, and did you leave in Walmart to you to start your own company? I didn't know I was going to leave. So that's the first thing. I never knew that. I mean, I never planned like, oh, at the end of corporate America, then you leave, right? But what happened was really life transforming for me. When I got to um, the U.S. in 2004, I, I never really went back to Africa. I never even thought about, you know, it wasn't even in my mind because, my, I have a global, my family is all over the globe and we all communicate and we all visit each other. So I was just living my life. But then about three years ago, my, I, I lost my dad. And that meant we all traveled back, um, you know, for the funeral rites and all of that. And it completely changed my outlook on life um, because, you know, just... I, I had to write about my dad in terms of his um, eulogy and all that, which meant going through his records and getting the dates right and interviewing my mom and asking people that I interacted with him. And it then occurred to me that um, when all is said and done, people don't really care what cars you drive or which houses you built or all of the things that people pursue. It's really, did you touch your community, life in your community? Did you leave anything behind? What's your legacy? What can we see? I, I, that I could, yeah, behind? I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Lives you've touched. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's, that's how I could summarize it was the lives you touched. And stories after stories just kept coming up. And it then forced me to first acknowledge my dad was a great man. He lived simply, he was through the ranks, through the professional, you know, he got up there, but he did not lose sight of the simplicity of life in touching people in his community. 
So I felt like I was doing everything, but that was, I found it to be missing in my own day-to-day life. It wasn't like I was a bad person <laughs> or anything like that. But I realized that I wasn't pursuing making my life meaningful to other people. Um, so I became quite dissatisfied with, you know, just making money and, you know, trying to aspire to the next rank in corporate life, you know, the rat race, oh, next promotion and next paycheck, you know, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so I went back to the drawing board to say, okay, this fast-moving train has just come to a stop. (laughs) I need to reorder my life and uh, start thinking of what I can do Mm -hmm. that would be of service, Um, you know, it's, it's also back to the parable of the talents from yeah. the scriptures of mm-hmm. what am I, what am I using my talents for? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Obviously, you know, the, you know, what you've just said now, the legacy you leave behind is absolutely, you know, I think the key thing after all, when we're all gone, nothing, anyone is taking along, nothing, but the lives you've touched, that's what will, co- will carry on people who you've impacted in your community. So spot on, I absolutely agree with you. Right, right, right. And it has completely transformed the way I see life. In fact, you know, I, I, I do write from time to time. And one of the things I even wrote just today was about wealth and wealth creation. Um, you know, for us as humans, I think we've we've had things reversed where we think wealth makes us, but the reality is as humans, we are here to create wealth and we can control and manage the type of how we create wealth and how much wealth we create. Yes. But I think we're, we're chasing after things that we're greater than, and then we evaluate each other based on Oh, what do you have in your bank account? But <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I think for me, I'm coming to this realization that if we see somebody that has wealth, we should say, oh, you figured it out. You figured out how to make wealth. And if we see people that do not have, we'll be like, okay, what's missing? Their what as a human being should not be in question, but we can say, okay, what have they, what have they not figured out? Exactly. Right. So, exactly. So, so coming to some coming to Africa is if we're saying, you know, there's a gap. What's that gap? And for me, when I look at Africa, I say Africa is not poor. We have to get that understanding. But what the gap is, we do not. We've not the, the, the knowledge that is required to conf, convert natural God-given resources that is right there on the ground, the knowledge base that is required to convert that into man-made wealth, in quotes, cars, road, bridges, like modern amenities that are all man-made, really, right? Modern life is man-created. Absolutely. That knowledge to take gold, diamond, natural, the land, everything that Africa has in abundance that the rest of the world is leveraging right now, all the minerals, right? The knowledge it takes to create that chain, that supply chain, the transformation required to convert that, to acquire wealth through that conversion process 
and then use that well to build the modern life we all want. That is what I think we need to, we can talk about when it comes to Africa. But 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 just saying, oh, Africa is poor. No, human resources, Africa is blessed. Natural resources is abundant. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so so that's kind of like for me, I try distilling complex topics because part of strategy is just there's so many complexity around what I just said. Mm. But trying to distill that complexity and saying how can I simplify and pinpoint what we're going after. That's the way I'm now interpreting it. So do do you do you think with what you've just raised now, do you think part of the missing gap in Africa is we're missing some key talents? We're missing talents who needs to help build that yes, continent. Yes, 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 we are. But when we look through history, one of the things that is important is that nations that rise up, they always look beyond their borders to acquire knowledge from the most advanced region in the world. At one point, it was Egypt, right? So it's, it's part of wisdom to look beyond ourselves for knowledge that we do not have. It's part of being self-aware like, self, uh, whether as a nation or as a person or as a people, it's very important to do a SWOT analysis, right? What are our strengths? What are our weakness? What's the opportunity and the threat? As, as a people, and then say, you can always cover your weakness by going beyond your borders to get what you, you need. But what I have found is by nature, in general, I'm generalizing, we Africans, we're very simple people. We live local, we think local, and we act local. Meaning, we're very like we just want simple life, right? So all the complexity I see around the world, the global negotiations and um, partnerships and strategies, all of this complexity that I, I'm sure you also go through today. Yeah. Right. You have to be trained to to be successful in that world. That's the, another world on, in of itself. Absolutely. You need to learn the language. You have to. You have to. And another way of learning is people should be bringing, it's either you, you build institutions of learning that is baked in to bring you up to speed to the world outside of your, of your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right, so the institutions, the universities, but a lot of the universities have even failed. They've they've failed to keep up with <laughs> the world outside yeah. of their region. Yeah, quite behind. So, so when we think about talent, what is talent? What is talent? Right, that's the first thing. What would you define? And, and we don't have to go down. The, you know, coming up with definition. But I think people have to de- decide, like, what is talent? Because in the global market, you could have people, but if the people do not have marketable skills or skills that the world is asking for or can deliver on the value that the world is asking for, then nobody's going to pay you for value, for the value you're not providing. Exactly. Uh, so so, so that's... That, that's just one side of some of the things I, I see and I, I explore when it comes to just engaging with decision makers around what is the real problem. 
Yeah. And what should we be doing? Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, if, if we start talking about you know, ta- ta- you know, talent lack in in Africa, I think we're going to talk about it for the next two three hours. But let let's get back to you, Nazaru. So mm-hmm. that that name, Nazaru. What is? It? I know. I, I bet there's going to be a story behind it. So what what what, what is it? Because it, the name sounds a bit unusual, you know, to me. So what what was mm-hmm. behind it? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> yeah, Nazaru doesn't have like a dictionary meaning, but what it does have, it's a biblical, it has a biblical context where because of the journey I have been through, um, because this is a faith journey for me, I wanted something very symbolic. And um, there's a story in John where, and Philip were like, let's go see the Messiah. And somebody was like, oh, the Messiah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nazaru is a short form for Nazareth, then you use oh, my last name. Okay, theory. I get it. Oh. Right. But then that story ended with, okay, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the person said, come and see. So when you think about the global narrative on Africa, when I do things like, oh, Africa, there are commercial opportunities, people are like, really? Africa? Right? And I'm going, come and see. Right. Let me explain to you, um, you know, what, what the media hasn't educated you about. And I think, you know, business leaders today must absolutely educate themselves about Africa. They cannot afford to wait for the media to give them the wrong narrative. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, I, I absolutely love, you know, how you coined that name from Nazareth to Nazaru. That, that's a, absolutely a brilliant one and a smart one as well. Yeah. So, yeah, Af- Africa, Africa is the future of the world. I strongly it is, believe it that. Is. It's the next economic boom. That's why I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So what's the short-term goal or short-term and long-term vision for Nazaru? Wow. So what I would even say is what have we accomplished right now? Because um, one of the things I, I absolutely do is from time to time, I take a pause and say, okay, am I heading in the direction we set out to, <laughs> to, to, to head out? And then we calibrate where needed. Um, but I can tell you that about two years ago, one of the solutions that Nazaru presented to the world, um, in the last couple of months, has been redesigned um, because I concluded that the solution was too soon and there was more training required for that to be viable. And because one of the challenges we have is visibility to what's available on the continent, um, you know, when you say, okay, there are opportunities in Africa, the next question is where? Where? Right? The data, the data. Right, the data, lack of data. Mm. So we went after the data and then what we also then realized was um, the people we were pointing potential business partners to on the African side, we also then need to train them on how to do business in this new world. Um, so... Yeah, so that, that, that was one of the things we've had to adjust now. And so the short term, next, next goal uh, for us is focusing on introducing authentic African products into the U.S. market. 
because while I was, um, you know, so I have a retail background too as well. And within the retail world, um, I think we have a growth opportunity to increase the number of authentic African um, items and products coming from the continent in order to create economic growth. Because people talk about we want trade, not hate. But when you unpack the word trade, really buying and selling, um, we're not doing enough of that at scale with the global market. We're doing it when it comes to raw. So when, when you look at the real data, Africa plays in raw commodities, but the, we're not playing heavily in, in manufactured and value-added products. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's something that Nazaru is heavily uh, focusing and investing time in and bringing the right stakeholders together. Cool, cool. That's, that's the short term. Okay, and then the long, the, lo the long term, we keep, doing, we keep doing that, but we also play when it comes to healthcare, um, supply chain, logistics, um, right? Uh, and then one of the things we're also doing, you know, on the trade with Africa side, which has just taken off, <laughs> you know, I think more people know about Trade with Africa Business Summit um, than the Nazaro, the company behind it. But we will also continue to bring stakeholders to the table to engage in this conversation and for us to learn from one another, build partnerships, build collaboration, like collaborate with one another. Um, that's something we, we have to constantly keep doing because where else can we go to right now to talk about, um, you know, real business challenges, opportunities, um, you know, in, in, in transparent ways. You know, that's one of the things for me is we have to tell each other the truth, right, Absolutely. of what's working and what's not. Mm. So the, the Trade with African Business Summit, um, how often is that a yearly, a yearly event you hold? Yes, yes, yes. It is a yearly event. However, we also host smaller discussions um, at a regional level. Um, but for the big one that is annual, you know, people flying from all over the world. And we had the first one in Arkansas, um, May 10 and 11 of this year. And we've also announced the next one, um, August 1st and 2nd in 2019, will be in Chicago. So if for the big annual one, people usually um, traveling. They plan it in advance and they travel in from all over the world. Our speakers also come from you know, different um, parts of the world and with different backgrounds as well. Okay, cool. So, Nazaru team, how, how big are you now? I want to believe it's not just you doing all this by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you so much to do. Oh, my gosh. Believe, believe that <laughs> I'm a small but mighty team. Um, and then we, we also have a support team of volunteers. Um, for especially for the event side of, of the business. Um, so I'm looking to grow my team. <laughs> but I'll tell you, yes, it takes all of me to keep pushing. Uh, and, and really back to your original questions on why did I have to leave? Well, one of the things that happened was the work got too big for me to... Uh, keep 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 staying in corporate America and still doing 
um, my work as I as I know as a faithful worker, right? So it got to that point where I was stretching myself and the demand for Nazaru, the demand for Trade with Africa started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then I had to make a call to say, okay, this is a desired future, right? I can stay, I can, you know, I could stay, you know, working for the number one, you know, Fortune One, getting the six-figure paycheck, all of that. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But something else was pulling me, right? Where people were demanding more and more of what I felt um, we needed in that space. So it was a risk. I, I took the risk to say, I'm going to leap forward towards the desired future um, and, and say, okay, if I need to go back, I can always go back, right? Uh, I still have SAP skills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can always fall back on that. So it was a calculated risk. And the beauty, the beauty of what I'm doing now is that the demand is high. It's high. I, hmm. it's, 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 it's so high that part of what I'm doing with Trade with Africa is to say we need more people to engage. Hmm. We need more diaspora people to play a key role because the new supply chain and the new value chain we're trying to create, there's a role for everybody to play. When you think about taking products from the farm to the shelf, do you know how many industry would be touched if we get it right? Exactly. Exactly. Agriculture, transportation, like that's how you build economy. You, You know, so, one person is not going to play all of that. So we need the people that will package, that will do design, you know, label, that will do marketing, that will do branding. So I'm not saying Toyin should do this by herself. The reason I, I then created the Trade with Africa is I see all of this. I'm involved with all of this, right? But we want more people to see the opportunity. So we started showcasing stories of real businesses like coffee business and Jewelries and textile industry, those were the things we were featuring um, on our platform. And the reason we're telling those stories, I want more people engaged. Because yeah. if you're from Congo and you can realize that, wow, you can build a chain, yeah. you can actually export more and, and provide more opportunity for the people, your people in the villages. Mm-hmm. And we have lots and lots and lots of stories, real stories of transformation through trade. Yeah. Um, you know, because the way I see my work, there are two sides to it. There's the public side, which is the trade with Africa, and then there's everything else I do behind the scene that I do not talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, like you've just said, it's it's a it's a value chain. It touches from like the 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 farmer who is doing the work, and when the finished product gets you know to the shelf when it's not being right. so it's, it's it's absolutely right. big value chain creating wealth for people creating jobs creating source right. of livelihood for people right that's it and that's that's i mean that when i after looking at everything and w- what people are doing around the world different countries it's that simple you know it's that simple. If we can create this movement of by African, think about Black Panther, right? Mm. Right? There's a consumption. There's a, there's a demand for authentic African products. And, and even, you know, our brothers and sisters who are the African-American on this side and even British on, on your side, 
um, they are now reconnect. They're, they're, they're actively trying to reconnect with the continent and they are demanding and asking for like authentic fabrics and things that we now need to create a solid value chain and a solid supply chain to bring those things in. Not one or two, but at scale. A, a lot. You know what you've just mentioned now? I remember one of one of my kids, normally um, during the course of the year, they, they do have what they call like a book, a, a, a book, um, a book week where they then need to dress up as their favorite, you know, um, actor or their favorite um, person in a book or whatever. One of my kids said he wanted the uh, one of the Black Panthers costume. <laughs> That was what he wanted to wear to school. So you see mm-hmm. people are beginning to, and before you know it, you have that costume, you have books created, you have jewelry created, you have loads and loads. The same way we've got all this um, Marvel, you know, um, stuff, mm-hmm. costumes created, and there's a big market everywhere for it. So definitely mm-hmm. there's opportunities. Mm-hmm. Out. But we've not, we've, the, the supply chain that is feeding that demand is not pointed to Africa. Yeah, you're right. That's um, the problem. Yeah, yeah. And we really need to start doing something. I mean, I guess that, <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's what trade with um, Africa business and yes, trying to Yes, because just think about it. Close your eyes, think about it. The woman in the village that is making coconut oil, that is making shea butter, all you can do for her is to buy more of those things. Yes. She doesn't, she, they're not asking for anything. They, they are working hard. The farmers are always working hard. But we have failed them because we are not creating new markets for what they, they are producing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of the Africa Emerging Podcast with our guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show like I did. The concluding part of this conversation will be available in the next two weeks. Watch out. Please like Africa Emerging on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Overcast. Like, share and review. Your feedback is extremely important to me. It will help me improve content provided on the show. To learn more on Trade with Africa Business Summit, please visit TWASummit.com. Thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word on how Africans are changing the world. It's time to build the African continent. Subscribe to our newsletter on africaemerging.com.